guys can be dismissed. Uh, not everybody. Uh, the kids uh, can be dismissed. I mean, if you want to, you can leave. It's a free country. And so, um, bye, Hattie. Um, we're going to be in Philippians 4 today if you want to turn there in your Bibles. As we kind of keep going um, through this book of Philippians and working through this. Man, what a blessing kids are. They're, they're noisy, they're loud, they're crazy. Parents are like, shh. But here's the deal. When we hear these kids scream and laugh and sing and participate, it's this reminder that our God is just constantly at work in this next generation. And we have much work to do. And so what a blessing today as we're kind of promoting kids up to this next stage of life. Um, and so parents, um, our task is great. And so last week we talked through uh, this one phrase I said it a lot, and I've said it before. Um, hard things can be good things. Even as our friend Dave's story reminds us today of in one of the hardest moments of his life, um, he felt the presence of God like never before, which is this picture that hard things can be good things. And just very quickly, just to recap last, we talked through three things. We kind of have three ways that we um, can look at the hard things or the suffering. First, we can deny the hard. We can say, no, my life's great, brother. I'm good. God is good. And just deny and never speak or confess or even say how hard things must be. But in Philippians 1, Paul says this in, in verse 28, verse 29, first been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, uh, but also to suffer for him. Hear, hear this, as we follow Jesus, hard things will come. As we live in a fallen world, hard things will come. There's no way to deny or run or hide from the hard. So we can deny the hard. Second, we can't avoid the hard. We can just like get in a shell, kind of hide out in the corner, never push back the kingdom of darkness in this world, and just avoid the hard things of life. But the problem with that is that's not really the way of Jesus, who says, take up your cross and follow me. Even our friend, the Apostle Paul, who says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul didn't see hard things and avoid the hard things. He saw the hard things as, in a sense, the means to advance the gospel. So we can avoid the hard, deny the hard, but we see Paul kind of exhort the church to do is this right here, to be transformed through the hard. To be transformed through the hard things. Philippians 1.12, he says this here. Now I want you to know, brothers, Paul's writing from prison and sisters, what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So the hard thing of being persecuted for doing a good thing and thrown in jail, he's saying this hard thing has been used to advance the gospel. And when Paul thinks of advancing the gospel, there's really three things he thinks about. As we advance the gospel, the gospel unifies the people of God. Friends, as we suffer well together, as we're there for those that are suffering in hard times, it, it kind of cuts through the things that divide us right? In the bunker, we don't care about how you vote, right? Suffering binds the church together. Suffering produces something inside of us that advances the gospel inside of our own hearts and souls. There's something, there's some things that only 
pain and suffering produce in us. No matter Bible studies or great worship songs or things you do, there's something about suffering, about the heart that does something in us. We also see in uh, Philippians 1 that Paul says that his suffering, his heart, his being in prison was used to advance the gospel in others outside of the faith. That the guards and the whole palace heard what was going on in the life of this man named Paul through how he suffered. And friends, as we, the church, learn to do the hard things well, as we learn to have joy in the midst of hard, the world takes notice. Think about hard things. <laughs> hard things destroy our illusion of control. When the phone call comes, when you lose the job, whatever it might, whatever the thing is, at that moment, you're like, oh, I'm in control of nothing. It destroys our illusion of control. And here's, as I was praying this week and thinking, it's almost humbling to think every, and I don't want to scare anybody today, but every person in this room is a phone call away from the hard. Friends, we're not in control of the good, the bad, the hard, the sweet, the ugly. We're not in control of those things. And hard things are coming. This is why it's vital, friends, that we're prepared as followers of Jesus in a fallen world of how to walk through the hard things. Not just to persevere, but to thrive in the midst of those things. And so last week was about how do we think about the hard things. No, don't avoid. No, no, don't deny. To renew our minds that God can transform us as a people through the heart. But today, I want to get almost more even on the ground and how do we actually walk through hard things? Because there's a, in a room this size, I, I would imagine there's multiple people walking through hard things. And hear this, your heart is your heart. As a pastor, I say this all the time. We want to justify our, like, oh, it's not that bad. Well, it might be bad for you. God is using that heart for a reason. Don't throw it away. But how can we walk through it and be transformed by it? Let's read our passage today. We're going to be um, in Philippians 4. Here in verse 2, Paul, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, I urge Judea and I urge Syntec to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I want to sing now. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, hear this, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we see in this passage really two kinds of hearts. We looked last week at 1 Corinthians 11, and Paul walked through his resume of heart. It's an incredible resume. I don't really want it, but it's an incredible resume of what Paul has walked through. Being stoned, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being sick. All this for the advance of the gospel. 
But in this passage today, we see Paul with a real pastoral heart. We've talked about how Paul loves these people. Like these are like, I think, Paul's people, people. And he's writing from prison, fully aware of what like hard things are, writing to his people this real like practical pastoral counsel to them in the midst of hard. The first hard you see is this relational conflict between Oudea and Syntec. They have something going on. We don't know what it is. It doesn't appear to be some essential gospel fight. It appears to be some kind of relational dispute. Uh, Paul is speaking here to an example of a relational heart. And friends, in this room, I can promise you this. There is account after account of us walking through a relational heart. Walking through divorce, walking through that thing with your parents that just there's trauma involved and they've hurt you and you're kind of bitter at them and you're walking through that thing. Or, or there's a person in this room that's offended you and there's still this relational conflict inside of you. Relational hard is real. But what's interesting is how we handle the relational hard. Paul's going to show us the positive in a minute, but we tend to do two things with a relational heart. We tend to fight. We, we, if there's a relational break, imagine in, in this room there's Judea and there's Syntec, and they are mad because one person did not call them one night. Let's just say that's what it is. And what tends to happen is we'll argue to get our point across and prove that we were right, right? Especially with your spouse. You'll just argue and talk and talk because you want to be right. The goal is that you want to fight until you win. That's one way. Second way in the church is much more prevalent. Is this right here? It's flight. It's flight. It's flight. When here's what happens typically in the church setting. I'll just say this. You go to a church and for the first six months to a year, it is the greatest church in the history of churches. These people love Jesus. They serve me. They love me. They sing so good. The pastor preaches so good. And then what happens is somebody offends somebody else. And at that moment, the church is not good anymore. And we as a people, we have not learned many times how to walk through relational hard. We just leave. We just leave and we miss out on all the great things that God will do in us and in his church and in the world through us learning to walk the relational heart. One of the greatest things you need for your sanctification is to learn how to walk through with difficult people. Because hear this, friends, they're never going away and you're one of them as well. We're all difficult. We're all weird. We're all a pain in the rear. That's all of our stories. But God, but God, okay, I gotta keep going. So we see this relational heart. But look at verse 6 again. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Echoes the words of Jesus, right? In Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow or this or that. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. But Paul says about anything. And Paul is writing from prison. And so it's this picture of Paul is trying to exhort to help them walk through hard circumstances through hard things in life that we just can't we can't avoid being laid off getting sick a loved one getting sick 
maybe one of my toughest, failing at something, doing a bad job. And so we tend to have our own little recipe for hard situations. We'll hope it away, like just kind of ignore it, hope it gets better. We'll avoid the hard thing. We'll just stay away from hard things to do. Or we'll blame God, blame others. We just don't really deal with, with the hard. And so last we kind of walked how to think about this, how to think that we can be transformed through the hard. But today we're going to get on the ground and how, how we can actually walk through this. Because if you look here at kind of the end of this passage, you see what the promise that God's people have of kind of the way our lives should look. Look at verse 7. Paul says here, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's saying the peace, the peace of God that we, the people of God, should experience should not make sense to the rest of the world. That we walk in such a way through the hard things, there is this peace that makes no sense. So I was, um, uh, Kirsten, I talked about this already this morning, I got approval for this. I, I went and visited her mom in the hospital uh, this week, and she's battling illness. Um, and you go into a hospital as a pastor, and like, okay, uh, this is going to be really sad. Uh, I'm going to, I got to pray myself up to encourage this person. And um, I walk in, um, and she's going through some hard stuff. And, and friends, there was a peace of God that surpasses all understanding on her voice on her face, and in that room. The presence of God was in that room. And for 10 minutes, I did nothing. I just smiled and held her hand and let her minister to me. And she was this picture of the Apostle Paul saying, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Hear this, friends. The peace of God should not be an anomaly for the people of God. The peace of God is ours to claim. And we could walk in it, friends. We could walk and skip with joy in the midst of our guts bleeding because God is good and God is near. Let's go. Man. But also in verse 12, I love what he says here. He says, I know both how to make do with little, I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Don't you love that? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, he's learned contentment. Friends, the promises of God for the people of God are peace and contentment, and we can walk in that way of life. And here's a reminder, this is not some theory for Paul. He's not some professor talking about, well, if you ever go through hard things, Paul is Mr. Hard Things, right? And he is saying that this peace and contentment is available for us today. But let's go, let's go further in today's passage because what we're going to see today is not just like Paul say, here's like a few things you might want to try and do. Paul describes a way of life. The only way I think to describe this is this right here. So in my house, uh, we are a Christian household, and we love the Dallas Cowboys. And that's just the way it is. And, and you know, we watch the games. We have the hats. We, 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 we have these things. But, but really being a Cowboys fan for me and with my father and my boys now, it's just a way of life. 
It's the way it's all, I can't think of not being a Cowboys fan. It's the way it's always been. And, and I knew it stuck in my household when, this is a few years ago, Hayes comes up to me and says, I need to talk to you. Okay, let's talk. He talked about Seth. So what's going on with Seth? Well, Daddy, he said the saints are good. And I was like, well, we'll pray for him. And, and because all Hayes knew was this way of life, that the Cowboys were the good guys and was worried that his friend was following the enemy. And I'm worried too, honestly. And so, but it was this picture to me as I was thinking this week, that's the way of life. And so listen, Paul's not giving us three pills to take and go away. He, Paul is giving us the way to live as the people of God, to walk in the peace of God and have contentment. So let's jump in. Let's go to verse 4. I am so excited this morning. <laughs> there you go, Heather. Let's go. That's my girl right there. going to clog in back there in a minute. She said, Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So this kind of first way of life is this right here. Rejoice and rejoice. Amen. Remember, this is a picture in the midst of relational conflict. In the midst of Paul being in prison, he says, rejoice. Let me say it one more time, rejoice. It's rejoice that does not make sense to others who do not have the hope of the gospel. It's a non-making sense rejoice. Here, the normal response to hard things it's fighting, it's flighting, it's wallowing, it's pitying. It's like, oh, it's all these things. But the people of God, not that we don't experience or confess or cry. That, that's all a part of our life. But there's something underneath. Because see, this kind of rejoicing is not like some escapist rejoicing, right? Where you just deny the heart is happening. It's not delusional rejoicing where you're just pretending the pain isn't there. It's something deeper. It's also not like some magic pill rejoicing where like you get a bad phone call and you just start singing to make it go away. That's not what this is. Paul is calling for something radically deeper than this escapist rejoicing or, or the fake pill kind of fake rejoicing. It's rooting in something different, something deeper and a different perspective on what is ultimately real and superior. To rejoice in the midst of the hard, we have to have something that transcends the hard. So uh, imagine this. Imagine if tomorrow you get a phone call that you lost your job. You're the primary breadwinner in your household and it's all gone. And then your finance person calls and says, listen, all your investments have gone away. It's gone. I, I imagine in that moment there would be some angst, Correct. But then imagine at 7 p.m., let's say, I'm not saying you should do this, you had a Powerball ticket. And you won, it was what, 1.2 billion a few weeks ago? Is that what it was? Say you won the 1.2 billion dollars. That ticket transcends the lesser heart. And friends, we as Christians, we have a ticket that transcends the lesser heart. The heart's still real. The heart still brings tears. But friends, there's something deeper there. There's a greater hope there that we can rejoice and we can cling to. See, what Paul really means by rejoice in the Lord, we see it more in verse 5. See, I'm reading through the CSB translation. It uses the word here, let your graciousness be known to everyone. 
But I think a, a better translation with the Greek is what you see in the ASV where it says, let your forbearance be known to everyone because the Lord is near. I was walking through this passage all week long and, and I could not get it to click. And I read this great book by Robert Moholland who kind of walks through this passage. He says this right here. The Greek term translated forbearance conveys this idea of living according to an established structure of reality in, in the face of alternatives, especially hard ones. But Paul is saying here that Christ's disciples live their lives with this different order of being one whose structures of character and dynamics, they transcend destructive events. We live on this different plane of being. And, and we see this phrase here, the Lord is near. In the midst of the hard, the reason we can rejoice, the reason we can bear through the hard, it's because the Lord is near. It doesn't mean that hard things are not painful. It just means that we have something underneath the pain, a greater reality. It comforts the pain. It reminds us this pain is temporary. It reminds us that this pain can be used to loosen our grip on control and the things of this world because we have this deeper reality in us. Even this morning, I woke up this morning excited about today, but there was just such a heaviness on my heart this morning. And then at 5.30 in the morning, in my little kitchen table, in my little house, I read Psalm 18. And it's this psalm that just talks about who God is. And I started writing, well, the Lord is just. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is near. The Lord is good. The Lord is love. The Lord is this. The Lord is that. And, and I, literally, my face changed. There was a heaviness. But just through who God is, this different, deeper reality of who he is, my countenance, my soul, my emotions were lifted because the presence of God is near. And we see this, don't we, all throughout Paul's ministry, him just modeling this in the hard. And when he's in the hard, it's like he has these like different kind of glasses that he sees the world. And he responds just differently. He rejoices and rejoices and rejoices. We see it in Stephen, the man who Paul watched be killed. This man named Stephen being stoned had this countenance of glory and joy and mercy for others. We see it in our, our Savior Jesus on the cross. As he's being beaten, he says, Father, forgive them. There is just this different posture and perspective. So our first way of life, friends, to walk through the hard is to rejoice and rejoice. But once again, these three things are not like separate things. They're completely interlocked. And you're going to see why Paul can rejoice and rejoice. Look at verse 6. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, in everything, in everything, write that down, in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. At first glance, it seems like Paul's saying the same thing three times in a row, 
prayer, petition, present your request. And that's true on some level, but, but prayer for Paul here means something a bit different. It's really Paul's term for this deep inner posture of one's being towards God and how we're to live lives receptive to him. It's this term he uses when he tells us to pray constantly, to be steadfast in prayer in Colossians, to be constant in prayer in Romans 12. With this term, Paul isn't calling us to isolated actions, but to this, what's the word here? Habitual orientation of our being. This is the constant walking and talking with him. The Lord is near and we walk and we talk. We get a phone call and we walk and we talk. We lose a job and we walk and we talk. We lose our hair and we walk and we talk. Our kids let us down and we walk and we talk. Friends, hear that. Here's the good news today. Jesus is near. Jesus is present. And through the gospel, we can walk and talk with him. Remember those old movies when I was a kid? When I was a kid, the greatest thing in the world was a walkie-talkie, wasn't it? And in movies, they had the best walkie-talkies. And you go buy one from the store and it never worked, did it? Never worked. But in movies, like they talk to their friends like in different states apparently. And it's this great picture of they just want to be in constant communication with their person, right? And friends, that is the way we are to, to, to walk, is that we just walk with Jesus. And if we walk with Jesus, we have a different posture and way of life. This is like this discipline where it leads the heart to always swing back to reality. Because our hearts are constantly fretting and walking in anxiety because we're walking away from what is real. Here's what is real, is Jesus died and rose again. And if you believe in him, the spirit indwells you. And one day you'll be with him forever. That is reality. Your, your temporary heart is not the ultimate reality. And so what this constant prayer does of walking and talking, it swings us back into reality. So that is prayer. Next, he talks about petition with thanksgiving. And this is different than prayer in, in this way. In, in this word uh, petition, it's a picture of us recognizing how inadequate we are. That we can't control, we can't order our life. Paul seems to call us in the midst of the hard to constantly recognize that we have someone who is in control. It's really a posture of neediness over and over and over again. But here's what's tough for us. This posture of petition with gratitude is tough for us because we are just way too self-sufficient. And we have been preached the gospel of self-sufficiency our entire lives. And so we don't show weakness to God or to others. And so we can't walk in this petition with thanksgiving. But this is the call to constantly turn to the one who is sufficient. So we have prayer, we have petition, last we have requests. What are the requests he's talking about to, to not walk in anxiety and worry? So as we walk in this constant state of, talk, of walking and talking in prayer, and, and this posture of humble-like petition with thanksgiving, 
our heart is now ready to make requests to God. Paul talks of presenting our request. But if we have not entered the right posture, these requests are always off. This is why the Lord's Prayer is a certain order, doesn't it? As Jesus taught his followers how to pray, there is a certain order that reflects the posture we're called to have. How does the prayer start? Our Father who art in heaven. It starts with who he is. Hallowed be your name. Our, our posture must first start with this recognition of who he is. Then it keeps going. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is the posture of God. Your ways are the ways that we need. And then finally we get to petition or request. We get to this idea of give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. This is the posture. The way of every day and every moment of life must be for the follower of Jesus. This is how we can walk in rejoicing right? We're just constantly walking and talking with him, not forgetting about him. Look at verse 7 again. As we do these things, we walk in peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. But then like after, it's like Paul, like, oh, I got one more thing. It's like I have this one more thing I want to remind you of so you can walk in this peace and contentment. Look at verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And it's obvious what Paul's after here. There's this great story uh, my mother-in-law tells me about Tracy. When she was like three or four years old, Tracy was basically blind, could not see a thing. And her parents had no idea that she couldn't see, that her eyes were so out of focus. Until one day, they finally got glasses for Tracy. And they're driving home from the optometrist, is that right? All right, we got it, good. Um, driving home, and Tracy tells her mom, oh, the grass has individual blades of grass. She'd only seen green her entire life. Did not know there was this texture, this whole new world, because Tracy's eyes were completely out of focus. And this is what Paul is imploring his people, his friends in Philippi, and even us today through the Holy Spirit, that we have to refocus our attention. That this world distorts how we see, how we talk to God, and how we rejoice to God. And so if we don't sure up what we're focusing on, we're always going to be off. Hear this. Many times, this is almost 100% for me, I can gauge my peace and my joy by where my focus and my thoughts are. Almost 100% that if I am focusing on the things of this world, and not the surpassing glory and joy of what Christ has done, something is off. I feel the anxiety rise. Y'all feel that? We get that? And so Paul is imploring us to rejoice and rejoice, to always pray, and to refocus constantly our attention on him. See, Paul is, 
This is how we renew our mind, right? Romans 12, renew our mind. John 17, Jesus says, prays for us that we'd be sanctified by the truth. The lies are out there, friends. Look at verse 8 again. Just think about this for a moment. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is real about this world. So the lies, the false things that we have hope in, here, here are some false things to have hope in. Our bank account, our health, our stuff, other people. All of those things cannot hold the weight of our joy and peace. It's not true. Whatever is lovely, whatever is lovely, we should look to beautiful things. This is why it's important for us in a digital world to be out in creation, to see the beauty of a surpassing creator God that transcends the screen and shows something is greater out there. Then we should set our mind on lovely, beautiful things. Whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence on the good, moral, pure things of this world, Friends, we live in a world that's not very moral, is it? We should set our minds on what is good and pure and beautiful. And he says here, if there's anything praiseworthy. And all these things, all these really point to one thing. They point to Jesus. They point to Jesus who is true, who is moral, who is beautiful, who is praiseworthy. And Paul says, dwell on these things. Set your mind, your focus, your attention on these things. And here's three ways that we really dwell. So you just break this down for us very quickly. Three ways that we dwell on the beautiful things of Jesus. First, of course, his word. We read, we meditate, we let the truth of his word renew our minds, refocus our attention. Listen, friends, we can set our mind on the truth of scripture on the social media lives of this world. If we did an inventory, I don't even want to do this because I don't want to do it myself, an inventory of what we're giving our attention to, many times we'll see what we're drawing from does not produce the joy and peace that we need. So first, through reading and meditating on Scripture. Second, through our thoughts. Through our thoughts. Paul later exhorts uh, church, take every thought captive. Where is your focus? Even as our friend Dave said, what is, what is your goal? Like, what is your, what is your real hope? When you go to bed at night, what are you dreaming about? What are you hoping in? What are you constantly checking? Where is your focus? God's word, our thoughts. And third thing, look at verse 9. Uh, Paul kind of ends this section with this right here. Do what you have learned and received and heard, not from a handbook, not even from scripture, but he says, from me, and you've seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. There is some truth, there is some way that we are refocused through other people that we cannot explain. That's what Dave's point was earlier. There is something about the presence of God seeing truth lived out in another person that refocuses my own attention through the word, through our thoughts, through others. Friends, peace, contentment, 
are not the anomaly. They're not our anomaly. That is the life of a Jesus follower. They are the way of Jesus. And Paul today has given us this picture of how to walk through the heart. That, that first, we rejoice and rejoice because he's near. Second, we just walk and talk with him in unceasing prayer. And third, we refocus our attention through his word, through our thoughts, and with others. And as we walk in this posture, in this way of life, friends, I will promise you, and it won't happen overnight, we are progressively sanctified. We grow in small steps, friends. We do. We do. But I will tell you this. I am not perfect. And I have a, a million miles to go. Uh, but this morning, me and my friend Chris Gunter were sharing at the things God has done in our life. We both said this. Look what he's done right now. He's going to do so much more in the rest of our life. And as we commit to walking in this way of life, inch by inch, day by day, we will see God do a thing in us. And I, and I can tell you this. You'll look up one day and think, wow, this hard thing happened and I have peace. And this peace doesn't make sense right now. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to wait for the hard. Because here's the thing. You know when I'm most walking and talking with God? It's in the heart, isn't it? It's when I get the bad phone call, the bad news, this or that. At that moment, I try to change my way of life. Okay, this is what I need. And here is the exhortation for us today. Don't wait for the hard to do the hard. Walk in the way of the promises of God now to prepare our souls, our hearts, our lives, our steps, our joys for the hard. And as we, the people of God, walk through these things, can you imagine being a church where there's really hard things, but we rejoice and rejoice, and we just walk and we talk with God knowing he's always there, and we're constantly not putting our minds to the things of this world, but putting our minds to truth through God's word, through our thoughts, and through others. And we walk in this way. When we walk in this way, friends, hear this. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear because we know our God is with us. And then we, as a collective people, we can cry out in one voice, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to really mean it. Listen, God is not after us faking joy. God wants our joy. And it happens as we commit to this way of life. So let's land this plane. Uh, four things for us that I would encourage us with, no matter where you're at today. Uh, first uh, step I'd encourage with this right here. Put your faith in Jesus. I, I, I believe in a room this big, there are people... who have probably been to church, probably said uh, no to hell, but have not said yes to Jesus. In a sense, they don't have their ticket yet. They don't have a greater reality they hope to put their faith in. And, and I want to tell you, friends, um, there is no greater joy in this world than knowing Jesus. There's no greater joy. No greater joy. And so for you, if you haven't really put your faith in Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus, I believe today is the day for you to do that. 
Because what really at the core of everything we talk about, rejoicing, praying, hearing uh, God's voice uh, through his word, it's really about meeting and knowing and following and listening and loving Jesus. That's it. That's the ball game. That's the center. And if that is not your testimony and your story today, I would encourage you on your card, in the back with our prayer team, take a step to meet Jesus today. Step one. Step two, find a spiritual family to walk through hard things with. And my friend Dave set me up today for all this. I appreciate that. Um, you will not survive the hard without spiritual family. It, it, just, it won't happen. You won't, hear this, you won't walk with joy and peace without spiritual family. And hear this as well. We need each other to see Jesus through your heart. Does that make sense? My friend Rachel has encouraged me in a million ways these past few months. As she has walked through hard, but there is faith, there's peace, and there's joy. I know it's not always easy. But there's a peace in her life that helps advance the gospel in me that only happens in spiritual family through us knowing one another. Third, commit to a new way. Instead of wallowing, rejoice. Instead of being alone, pray. Instead of looking at the world, refocus your attention. Make your way of life the way of a Jesus follower to rejoice, pray, refocus. Rejoice, pray, refocus. Fourth, our prayer team is going to be in the back here in a few moments. And um, I believe if you're walking through hard things, the first step is for us to pray for you. Maybe if you're not that bold, write it on your card. But friends, we want to pray for you. We want to partner with you in the hard things. We want to help you walk in joy in the midst of the hard things. So let us do that. Let us pray for you. I, 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 we have men and women in the back that are dying to pray for you. And if you're walking through hard things, uh, receive the gift of being prayed for today. Well, I hope as, you know, Luke's uh, been out and I'm, thrilled Luke is back, uh, and I got to preach these past two weeks and preach about this thing that I'm learning myself, uh, that hard things can be good things. And, and I pray that we as a family are, are learning that truth. But underneath that, that fun little catchy saying is this right here, is that we believe and see that Jesus and his work is the deepest, truest, most important thing in the world. If we cling to that, friends, we're going to walk in joy and we're going to walk in peace progressively. And that's my prayer for us, that we just learn to meet Jesus. As you're in the midst of the heart, I want you to meet Jesus. If you're in a peaceful time, I want you to meet Jesus. That's the hope. That's the prayer. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for... Um, Thank you for uh, loving, difficult people like myself and like us in the room. Thank you for giving us a story to tell. Thank you for giving us responsibility in your kingdom as ambassadors. 
Thank you for being near to us in every kind of situation. And, and Father, my hope, my prayer today is that our, our awareness, our focus is swung back to reality, the reality of who you are and what you have done, and that we cling to that greatest reality with everything that we've got, and that we learn to walk through hard things with real joy. So, Father, bless us today with your presence, uh, with your voice. Let us respond to your voice today. Give us a posture of humility. Give us the posture of a childlike learner with childlike faith today. And let us respond to you with greater faith, greater love, and greater obedience. We pray, we ask all this in your name. Amen. Uh, we're going to conclude our time with this sermon with communion. And um, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion, but we do ask that you have a, a faith in Jesus because this is a meal for those that follow and love Jesus. So before you come, I would encourage you just to sit, uh, talk with God. Our, our prayer team's in the back right now. We'd love to pray for you. Come be prayed for, do work with God, and come partake. Come when you're ready.